guys, I think it's 30. That seems very low. Brandon Belt hit 29 in a year. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's a quicker way to do this. Yeah, nobody's hit 30 home runs as a giant since Barry Bonds. Wow. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's, a, that's kind of unbelievable. 30, like 30 is not a, a big number. No, it's not. By any means. And nobody for the San Francisco Giants is at 30 home runs in a season since Barry Bonds hit 45 in 2004. All right, well, 20 years in the making. Soler's going to – Soler's going to – if he's healthy, he's going to crush that. 30? Like 30's not even – yeah, if Soler stays healthy, he's going to crush that. What's his uh, – over the last couple of years, what's his about average? Like it, mid-30s? Yeah, mid-30s. So he's going to crush that. Since the, tur- since the turn of the century – only three Giants have hit over 30 home runs in a year. Bonds, Jeff Kent, and Richard Rulia did it one year. 30, yeah, which just is 30. nothing. Yeah, which is not a lot. No. Not a significant amount. So, Jorge Soler, not only is he going to get 30, he's going to get 40, lead the National League in home runs. Well, you just called he might even get 50. Might. Who's, I'm not going to say that. I'm just saying it's possible. I mean, after Bonds left, who was on the juice? <laughs> Nobody. No, took that's it all when, with they, they, took that's it all when with they started testing for <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, did he take it all with him? Didn't leave it Yeah, it was a good question. All right. Isaiah Stewart of the Pistons punched Drew Eubanks of the Suns more than an hour before the game yesterday. These two teams played last night. This was well before the game, somewhere in the arena. Uh, Sham Sharnia reported that, according to league sources, Stewart and Eubanks were chest-to-chest before a swing to Eubanks' lip area connected. Police needed to get involved to separate the two and were called to the scene. First question, why did Sham Sharnia write lip area and not just mouth? <laughs> what What is that? He punched him in the lip area. What kind, What is that? Has anybody ever referred to it as the lip no, area? it's pretty much punched in the mouth. Yeah, he punched him in the mouth. For some reason, Shams wrote lip area. This the, says it was a parking lot. Oh, was it outside? It says in the face in a footprint center parking lot before the Suns win over the Pistons. League sources briefed the matter confirmed to the Athletic. The the Suns put out a statement saying the attack on Drew Eubanks was unprovoked and acts of violence such as this are unacceptable. We unequivocally support Drew and will continue to work with law enforcement and the NBA. Um, Isaiah Stewart got arrested, charged with assault. He was released. What the hell happened? I mean, there must be... There, there must be something in the past with these two. Was Isaiah Stewart waiting in the parking lot for the I Suns mean, team bus to arrive? Said officers spoke to both players involved and number of people who witnessed the incident. They learned there was an argument between the players as they arrived to the arena. Escalated when Stewart's punch Eubanks causing minor injury. Wow. I don't. I, there has to be something. That, yeah. There has to be something that went on between these two in the past. Yeah. And they didn't just look at each other when he got off the bus. It's said, time. It's time. Let's go. It's go time. <laughs> Drop the gloves. I bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. And again, it happened way before the game started. Hell, it might have happened yeah. as soon as the Suns got there. Maybe Isaiah Stewart well, I mean, was, if it was in the parking lot. It's more than an yeah. hour. Yeah. So bizarre um, to get punched in the lip area over something that nobody actually knows what happened here. So. We'll see what happens, but Isaiah Stewart got arrested for this and has assault charges against him for punching Drew Eubanks in the mouth. Now a question for sure. Shea Theodore is back at practice with the Golden Knights in a regular jersey. He's no longer in the red non-contact jersey. Bruce Cassidy yesterday said that he doesn't think Theodore will be available this weekend, but next week is probably more realistic. That's the phrase that Cassidy used, probably more realistic. 
The Golden Knights have a loaded schedule coming up here. They play Saturday. That's unlikely. But then they play Monday, Tuesday, Thursday of next week. So three and four there uh, next week. I'm guessing based on what Cassidy said, Theodore comes back for one of those games. I'm going to predict he's in the lineup on Tuesday. Tuesday. Second yes. half of a back-to-back. Second half of a back-to-back. All right. So Tuesday would be a potential date. Um, Shea Theodore hasn't played since November. Uh, still, the fun fact is that he is tied for the team lead in goals by defenseman. With Alec Martinez? With four. <laughs> so it'd be nice to have him back and get some goals from the blue line because the Golden Knights don't get very many of those. Uh, and and, and I, I understand the question. Iowa hosts Michigan tonight. Caitlin Clark needs eight points to set the all-time scoring record. She would pass Kelsey Plum if she's able to get to eight points. She averages over 30, so getting to eight seems like a safe bet. This game starts 5 p.m. Pacific time. It is only on Peacock. I mean, you'd think uh, that someone would pick this up or go elsewhere if you want to see this kind of history, especially with women's sports. You want to promote it? And... She needs eight points. You think someone would it would go elsewhere so ever more people could see it? The problem is that these are all set before the season starts. No one could come in. I mean, they did. The NBC picked it, and then they said we'll put it on Peacock. Wow. Like this, like that's with college basketball. Everything is picked before the season. It's why in the Mountain West we saw UNLV San Jose State on CBS Sports Network, while Utah State and Boise State. We're on the Mountain West right, Network. exactly. Right, which makes no sense at all. Well, but it's picked before the season, and this that's... Even if it's picked the before the season, it makes no sense that you pick that game over the other one that, anyway. That is true. Anyway, well, Utah State had none of the returning players, so I think most people thought Utah State was going to be garbage coming into the year. But this pick before, it's on Peacock, so NBC's going to say... I guess, I mean, I'm sure if they really wanted to, NBC could say, we're going to put it on NBC. Right. Um, but I... I doubt they're going to bump their weekly, their nighttime programming on a weekday. Right, for, for a basketball game. Right, they wouldn't do that for any college sporting event, I don't think, on a Thursday night. So, NBC, it's on Peacock. Caitlin Clark, eight points away. Danny, did you finally bet on it? I did. Okay. Yeah, I took two-pointer. I was actually talking to my boss at DraftKings, and he saw it on uh, stations, and he bet on it, too. <laughs> Danny, you're a bad influence. No, I'm a great influence. You're a bad influence. Uh, apparently, on the secondary market, tickets for this game are going for almost $400. It's the I most know. expensive women's basketball Ke- game. Kelsey Plum can now send out a uh, tweet that's no, on time. No, not yet. No, you got to wait for eight She's points. She's got to get to eight. Okay, after she She's gets to She's got to get there. In the, in, the, in the first quarter, then Kelsey Plum can send it out. Right, listen, the reason Kelsey Plum's everybody assumed she was going to get to eight in the fourth quarter against get eight more in the fourth quarter against Nebraska, she didn't score a single point in the fourth. She could have another scoreless She'll quarter. Eight. She'll she get to eight. She will. The yeah, Sports Center had a had a graphic yesterday that was like uh, highest career points per game average for Caitlin Clark against a team, and Michigan's number one. <laughs> She's yeah. averaging like thirty five. The funny part is Nebraska was number two on that list. And she didn't get her eight points in the fourth quarter against Nebraska. So Michigan's got to lock down. Say, we're not letting her get the record. Okay. <laughs> Next question. The Lady Rebels beat Colorado State 67-64 to last night. Uh, UNLV actually trailed entering the fourth quarter uh, by two. They are now 21-2 and on the year. Two stats for you. Desiree Young, who had 16-14 and last night, she now has 1,000 career points and 1,000 career points. Rebounds. 
Amarachi Kimson came off the bench for the Lady Rebels. She had 20 points off the bench. She made four of five three-pointers. Big night for her. And then McKenna Hofschild, who might end up winning Mountain West Player of the Year over Desiree Young again. She averages 24 points and seven and a half assists a game. UNLV held her to 13 points on five of 17 shooting and just three assists. UNLV excellent defensively in basically every game. Very, very good last night against Colorado State. Great question. Thank you. 49ers fired defensive coordinator Steve Wilkes. Uh, This was his only season with the 49ers. What do you think? I do. I think we, as we talked to Mike, I think he, I think it was a scapegoat. Um, I think Kyle Shanahan, because of how it happened and how it ended, thought he needed to make a move. Um, you've got the numbers down here, 8th in yards allowed, 10th in EPA. I think they were top 5 in total defense. I don't know what else he could have done. I'm sure that last drive maybe and how the, you know, the Chiefs went right down and scored and had some long uh, conversions on third down. And fourth down as well, fourth and one when Mahomes got free. Maybe that played a part in this. Um, I don't think it should have. And, you know, uh, maybe like you said, maybe Lynch said we got to do something because of how we lost. Uh, I don't know. Do you think there's any way that the owners or John Lynch, who's the GM, asked for a change? Yeah, I do. Lost lost two double-digit leads in Super Bowls. I think they thought that a change had to be made. I just, I guess I'm surprised it was this guy. But I don't. You're not going to fire the offensive coordinator, that Shanahan. Um, I don't know if I would have fired him, but I understand why Steve Wilkes got fired. I don't think it's some crazy thing that Steve Wilkes got fired. Last year, the 49ers defense first in points allowed, first in yards allowed, first in EPA. This year, they were three, eight, and ten in those categories. Still pretty good. Not great. Not bad. If you're go if you're going to win the Super Bowl with Brock Purdy, your defense needs to be one 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 across the board. And it wasn't. It was good, Steph's but it wasn't deep. great. Had they been say top three in those three categories, still the same finish, you think he gets fired? Probably. Because like we talked yeah, to I with, think he gets fired unless they win it. Because like we talked to with Mike Jones, this is not that back in November. Kyle Shanahan was not happy with Steve Wilkes and they made and made him move out of the booth down to the field. Like, that was back in November. That was halfway through the season. There was already issues with between Shanahan and Wilkes. So, I think this probably happens no matter what. They, it might happen if they win the Super Bowl. Shanahan oh, might say yeah. this wasn't going very well. There's no way you can do that. He called a timeout in the game, apparently, because he wasn't happy with one of the defensive coverages Wilkes called. In the Super Bowl, he apparently called a timeout because I don't like that defensive coverage. So, they get a stop on that fourth down in overtime. He's still not any happier with Steve Wilkes. Oh, it'd be tough to fire him after winning yeah. it. I think that it doesn't mean he wouldn't. Yeah, have. I think it still might have actually happened that they move on from Steve Wilkes, but I don't think this is like the craziest thing. The 49ers defense should be one of the best defenses in the league. Like we should be talking about them as if they are number one across the board, and they weren't. And they're still good. They weren't bad, but they shouldn't have been tenth in EPA for this year. We shouldn't have gone into it being like ah. Detroit almost got him. Jameer Gibbs and D- David Montgomery ran all over them. Like, that should not happen. But it did. So, I don't have too big of a... I don't find this to be I don't some... Think they, I don't think I... I don't know if I would have fired him, though. Maybe I not. I, I, it comes back I mean, to this. There's Who is Shanahan replacing him with? Well, who's going to be replacing him? And it comes back to 
there could have just been a personality conflict. Yeah, and I he think might that's, not have just liked them. I think that's a big part of it. But like Shanahan's got to know who he's replacing with, or at least have a list of two or right. three guys that is like I can probably get one of these guys, and I think it'll be better because of the scheme that guy runs or whatever it ends up being. That's what I would imagine is going to happen here. That's a great, great question. Antonio Pierce is hiring his son. DeAndre Pierce will be an uh, offensive assistant with the Raiders. We know one thing. Is he? He's a Raider. Are we sure about that? Who else? Who wouldn't be a Raider if your dad's the coach? I, kids don't like to be like their parents sometimes. No, I think he's a Raider. Uh, you know, some people are like, ah, I don't want to be a Raider. Either that or he convinced his dad he's a Raider. He must have. Um, his son has been out. He played college football. He's been out of uh, playing for just a couple of years. He was a quality control coach for San Luis Obispo last season. Um, Deuce Gruden was still on the staff this last mm-hmm. year. Will he be on the staff again next year, or is there only room for one head coach's son on the staff? I don't know. The Deucer's hung around. He has. He's hung around since uh, what happened to his dad. So Deucer must do a good job. He might. I mean, of course he does. He does a great job stretching him out. Probably the best coach on the team. You know, and, and getting probably in the weight room helping out. And yeah. He's a, he's a bodybuilder, um, competes. So you got to go cover his know. next competition. You know, I, you know, I told you I tried to talk to the dude. Yeah, and they didn't he didn't want to pa- talk. He passed. He's got now, that up. was close to what happened with his dad, right. so maybe that was it. Maybe if I asked for the deucer again, he'd say yes this time. Um, and at that time, it was still going to be about him and his competitions and right. stuff like that. It wasn't going to be, I mean, you know, I wasn't going to sit there and ask 30 questions about his dad. Just uh, just show up to some weightlifting competition in, like, some random city in Florida and be like, hey, deuce. Let me get it. Let me get. Let me steal five yeah, minutes from you. Right. It'll be great. He'll be like, "What the hell is this guy doing here? He wants to talk to me about what?" He'll notice Ed and be like, "Did you follow me?" Yeah. <laughs> What's happening? Ed's gonna have a restraining order taken out against <laughs> By him. the juicer. Yeah, it's gonna be great. All right, coming up next, we're gonna get into the NBA after Adam Silver talked a little bit about NBA expansion and Las Vegas. I feel like we already have a big presence in Vegas. I think in terms of expansion to Vegas, what what we've said for a while now is we have one more year left on our television deals in the U.S. after this year. And so we want to figure out what our media relationships are going to look like, but then we will turn to expansion. And Vegas is definitely on our list. What's, what's remarkable about Las Vegas, it's not that large a market, yeah, I mean, small. as the U.S. goes. I mean, I forget. I, it's like last I looked, I think it was the 44th largest market or something like that. Wow. But, man, do they punch above their weight. Mm-hmm. You're listening to The Press Box on 100.9 FM and 1100 AM. That was Adam Silver. He was on with Pat McAfee yesterday. Uh, That was part of his answer because Pat McAfee asked him point blank, when is Vegas getting an expansion NBA team? And, Ed, you can tell me if I'm reading too much into this, but McAfee asked him point blank, when's Vegas getting an expansion NBA team? And the very first thing out of Adam Silver's mouth was, we have a WNBA team in Vegas. And then the second point he made was that the Summer League is in Vegas, and he said, our Summer League has become almost like a franchise in Vegas. Is Adam Silver trying to say, hey, we're already in Vegas? We don't have to put a team there, too? He has said that often. He also includes USA Basketball mostly times when he gives this this quote, which we've seen often. And he also didn't include the in-season tournament. Which right. is also, well, they've only right. done it once, but was here in Vegas. Right. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but if 
if Adam Silver was expecting to put a team in Vegas or what, what, however you want to view that, wouldn't he start off being a little bit more optimistic about the actual NBA team and not just, well, we're already there, guys. We got the WNBA. We got the Summer League. I, I feel like that is him saying we don't need to be there. We're already there. Which has been his company line forever. Every time this is asked, he says we're already there. Every time. I can't remember a time where he didn't say yeah. the Summer League. I don't forget him. I forget him saying the WNBA I, a lot. That one I haven't heard before. But the Summer yeah. League, he always talks about the right. Summer League. My fear, as somebody who wants the NBA here, is that, that that's the approach they take. Is that they say we don't need to put a franchise in Vegas? We've already, we already got. We're already there. We already benefit from that market. Right. We've already got the summer league for two weeks in the summer. The aces are popular. The in season tournaments there now. USA like I, that's my fear. Somebody that wants it here is that that's the way they view this. Because think about it. And the the good the good comparison uses the Golden Knights. The NHL puts an expansion team in Vegas, and a large percentage of this population did not care about hockey before the Golden Knights came here. A large percentage of the sports fans in Vegas didn't care about hockey. And so when the Golden Knights showed up, you had a bunch of people who didn't care about hockey, didn't spend any money on hockey, didn't pay any attention to it, now suddenly care about it. If the NBA is here for Summer League, the NBA is here at the WNBA, the NBA is here in the in-season tournament, how many people, if they put an expansion franchise, would go from not caring about the NBA to caring about the NBA versus how many people that would care about the expansion team in Vegas already care about the NBA? I think a lot of people would start to care about the NBA if they got an expansion team here. You think, I think you it's think more there are a basketball town than a hockey town. You think there are people here who don't spend any money or attention on the NBA that would suddenly start paying attention to an expansion team in Vegas? No, because I do because if you put it that way, I do think that they go to the summer league and they care about the summer right. league. So the people and, here, and we see what the Aces have done; they sell out now. Right, but the people here that would go to an NBA game for the Vegas team, the people that the locals here, they already care about the right. NBA. So those are not new fans, and the owners. When you expand, all you're trying to do is create more money. That's the right. only reason you expand is to get more money, and so for. The Golden Knights, they got, or the NHL, got more money from the Golden Knights because it created all these new hockey fans in a town where people didn't care that much about hockey. I don't think if the NBA puts a team here, you're suddenly going to have tens of thousands of people in Vegas that care who about it. Who don't already yeah, care about it. That suddenly do. I think you're just going to end up with Lakers fans becoming Vegas fans. Scorpion fans. Right. You're just going to have people that are like, well... I'm not going to go to the Summer League. I'm just going to buy season tickets right. to the Vegas team that's here. I, I don't think there are an, enough new fans that the NBA would create in Vegas that they could say, we're already there. We don't need to put a team there. That's my fear, is that that's how they view Vegas as, yeah, we already get to – we enjoy the benefits of Las Vegas without actually giving Las Vegas a team. So let's go to another city where we maybe don't enjoy any benefits of having a team there. I don't know if they would get – as many new fans as they think, but they could probably reel in some of those fringe fans who kind of maybe pay attention like during playoffs or they'll watch a game once in a while but don't have a favorite team. They would more reel in those type of yeah, fans. But I just don't think there's enough of those. I, I think the NBA could look at it and say, yeah, that's every city we would go to. Like every city's going to have people that are, you know, 
just general right. sports fans that are like, ah, oh, I didn't. I watched I the NBA a little bit. But, but now that there's a team here, right. I'm going to support it. And I think that that would be true in any city I think they put a team in. Because I've said this before, from the NBA standpoint, if this is about money, which... Everything's about money. Right. Like, you only... You, owners don't want to expand because that means you're now splitting all of your revenue right. two more ways. Right. So the only reason you expand is if you believe the teams you're adding will bring more revenue than the split you're giving up to those two teams are. If I was the NBA, I would not put a team in Vegas, and I would be waiting however long it takes until it's ready and put a team in Mexico City. That's where, if you're trying to make money, that's where the NBA can make the most money with an expansion franchise because it is, what, the second or third biggest city in North America, right? And that is a city where who cares about the NBA in Mexico City? They put a G League team there to see how that actually works out. But you conceivably, outside of the sport of soccer, could have the most popular team in an entire country if you put an NBA team in Mexico City. The potential is so high down. Now, there's a lot of drawbacks. The elevation is unbelievable. Would players want to go play in Mexico right. City? Like, who'd want to be in There the are team? a lot of drawbacks. Exactly. And that's why it might take five years. G League team, see how it does there. But that is where the most potential for money is, is putting a team in Mexico City. Because the amount of new fans you would create, it's it'd be like adding another New York, if it was successful, to the NBA. So that's my fear of somebody who wants Vegas here, is that that's how the NBA thinks. I'd, rather, I'd wonder if they're going to bring one back to Seattle. They have... I, I haven't actually checked in in a little while. They have multiple potential ownership groups i don't think the nba likes one of them but there are two different groups that want to put a team there or have a team there um most people assume vegas and seattle are getting one right so we'll see what they actually do i don't know that seattle same thing with vegas i don't know that i don't know enough about seattle but i don't know that seattle necessarily brings in a whole bunch of new fans no, I don't. I don't know enough no, about I it. Mean, Maybe uh, after the Sonics left, so many people in Seattle just said, "We're just bleep the NBA." Yes. I'm not paying attention. I don't. Or know. they missed the NBA, right? And they're like, ah, "I became a Blazers fan" or something like that. That seems sacrilegious if you live in Seattle, though. But I don't know. I don't know enough about the people of Seattle. But may, they might be the same situation where the NBA is like, eh, "We could put a team there. People would like the Sonics to be back, but we don't know that it makes us enough money right. to make it worthwhile." So, uh, there's your NBA expansion. I just thought it was interesting. He there. also said, though, that they're definitely on yes, the list. Yes, he did he say did definitely say on the list. The Danny Vegas played the part where the he did talk up the Vegas right. market a little bit. They We punched and above a lot our of this, weight. I mean, I think a lot of this has to do with directly after the Super Bowl, how well the Super Bowl did here. I think that's why McAfee probably had him on and asked him these questions because yeah. he McAfee was a huge proponent of the Super Bowl here. He loved being here. He really talked the city up. So maybe that's why he even had Silver on. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. Um but Vegas has largely been considered uh, extremely likely to get an NBA franchise at some point in the next 10 years, five years, whatever timeline you want to put on it. But I thought the way he answered that question was interesting to make me think, wait a minute, this guy's talking about the Aces being here and the Summer League being here. Does he not want to put an actual NBA team here? It wouldn't be ideal. All right, coming up next here on ESPN Las Vegas, we're going to get into our lovely Las Vegas A's.
the people that are most dialed in in the Vegas scene all told me 50-50. That was the number they gave me. They don't believe the hype in the A's out there. I think the only thing that really got me is like when you walk around Las Vegas and look at the Tropicana site, first of all, it's tiny. Second of all, they said they're going to have a retractable roof. Now it looks pretty certain they will not. Uh, and then they're going to have a bunch of developments around the ballpark that Bally's is building. What I noticed about the site is it's very congested. The cabbies, everyone you ask out there said it's a terrible place for a ballpark. It's going to be impossible to get to. The local residents don't want it on the strip. And that's exactly where it is. So there's a lot of boxes it doesn't check. And all we have seen are fake drawings, drawings the team themselves said wad up and throw away. We've never even seen the real ones. But the thing that struck me the most is if you stand on the site and you just look around, every property around that site is owned by MGM. So you better believe MGM wants that stadium there because they don't have to do anything and then they get to benefit from it being there. You're on the elevator up to the press box with Graney and Bischoff. That was Casey Pratt from the ABC affiliate in San Francisco slash Oakland. Um, that's a good point about the MGM, everything being owned around it by MGM. Because MGM CEO Bill Hornbuckle said on an earnings call, he has seen renderings of the A's ballpark. Yay, they exist. Maybe. We haven't seen them. No. The A's said they had them back in December and then nobody saw them then. So who knows? This well, we saw some kind of rendering. Well, that was back in like the summer. And, then, see, they and said, then they said, that's not really They what it said, looks throw like. those away. Yeah, that's not, not what it's going like to look that. like. Um, so we, they did at one point have renderings, but they weren't real. They just legitimately produced them to, sh to show. I think that was right around the state legislator time. They legitimately produced them just so the state legislator would be like, ah, we're giving them $380 million and it looks pretty. Um, but Bill Hornbuckle, he is the uh, CEO of MGM. He said on an earnings call, we're waiting to see where that lands. I have to believe in the next 30 to 60 days we should find out more. I've been shown three versions of it now in terms of where it will actually sit on the site and how it will connect. So couple things in that quote. The first one, do you think we'll get something in the next 30 to 60 days? It's February 15th. By April 15th, will we I'm going to say more 60 <laughs> than 30. <laughs> right? I mean, we haven't seen anything yet. Yeah, nothing at all. There was, um, I can't remember who said this. Somebody did say in spring that they expected it by like spring training, beginning of the, the regular season. So that would put us in the 30-day range yeah. here. It would be about 40 days before the season starts, I think. So maybe, maybe we get it in 30 to 60 days and we actually get some renderings. The other interesting part about what Hornbuckle said is that he's seen three versions of it. That they're moving this around this plot of land in terms of where the it ballpark sits. will go. Right. Does that does it matter where on this lot the ballpark is? Because the A's are getting nine acres of the twenty or thirty acres that the the actual whole plot is. I guess I'd ask the cabbies. <laughs> they they said it's going to be hard to get to. Where do you want it? I we take a. Uh, a poll of the cabbies, and they can determine where on the site it exists. Oh, they'll tell you not even on the site, apparently. That's true. Say no, nowhere on the strip. But the fact that they're – okay, the A's came out and said, well, we have renderings, but we're not going to show them to you because we're waiting for Bally's to get renderings of what their hotel, casino, entertainment district, wherever they look end like. up building. We want them to get their stuff ready. Meanwhile, Bally's is saying, well, we're waiting on the A's before we do anything so they don't know what they're talking about or they don't talk to each other apparently what did hornbuckle see did he see renderings of the ballpark and they just moved it to a different corner of the land or did he see renderings of the ballpark and 
renderings of what this Bally's casino. Well, is I think he definitely like. saw, if we believe it, renderings of the ballpark. Right, but were there also, hey, this is I what mean, the hotel casino would look would like? Would look like, or did he literally just see the same ballpark and they just moved it to a different <laughs> spot on the empty with a plot. bunch of Blake an- yeah. empty plot around it? Right, like what did he see there? So that's a fun. He part saw a dome. Saw saw a ballpark. He saw a ballpark. He saw a dome. So maybe maybe we get something out of this. Um, but that is yeah, I, fun point by Casey Pratt that everything around there is owned by MGM. Because the other thing Bill Hornbuckle said yesterday, and Mick Akers of the RJ had a story from this. He said if this happens, they're going to um, renovate part of the MGM. He said that it needs some love and some care. Okay. Why wouldn't you do that even what, if there wasn't a ballpark put in place? What does that have to? What does one have to do with the other? I don't know. <laughs> I don't like, understand that. Like the A's coming to Vegas is not going to like dramatically alter the future of MGM. No, like that hotel and casino, if it needs renovated, should be renovated even if the right. A's aren't coming. So I was a little confused by that. I was like, really, you're basing. That, the that A's decision? coming on that, right? That seems like a stupid thing. If it if it needs it, you should probably be doing it anyway, whether whether they come or not. But he gave that weird quote yesterday, or not yesterday, but during an earnings call as well. So maybe the A's are coming. Bill Hornbuckle seen something. Seen three renderings. Three might be the same one, just rotated ninety degrees. But he's seen three of them. Yeah. So that's more than one. We're just we're just asking we're just, for we're, one. We're asking for one rendering of a domed ballpark and where it's going to sit. Just get just. Get, or not even where it's going to sit, just a picture of a yeah, ballpark. Well, yes, you could, does, it could be anywhere. <laughs> exactly. Just where, just make Is that Henderson? Did they, get a, did they get that team also? Can't they just go uh, get an AI uh, art service to just make one for them and yeah. just appease people and say, here's what it would look like? I don't know. Do something. Make people uh, pay attention a little bit. All right. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Tyler Kepner of The Athletic. Yeah, I, I do feel like baseball really wants to be in Nashville. Baseball players really want to be in Nashville. Everybody seems to want to be there, but Nashville still can't, you know, figure out a, a stadium thing there either. And that's the whole big thing, right? I mean, that's, that was why it was a joke when Tampa was like, oh, we're going to play half our games in Tampa and half in Montreal in, in two new stadiums. I mean, you can't get one new stadium. How are you going to have two stadiums to new stadiums to split a team? It was that was silly. So, uh, so much of this franchise relocation, as you guys know, is just posturing and and you, from my perspective, you try to like filter out what's real and what isn't and, and put it in perspective. And that can be hard sometimes. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Granny and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. That was Tyler Kepner of The Athletic on Foul Territory yesterday. And Tyler joins us now. Good morning, Tyler. Hi, Tyler. Morning. How are you guys? Good. Doing great. Um, so you talked a little bit about Nashville there with Foul Territory, but I just want to ask you from a general perspective because uh, I like to get people who cover baseball nationally and what their thoughts on it are. Wh- what do you think of the A's coming to Vegas and and maybe that happening at some point in the future? Well, <clears throat> I mean, there's always a possibility that uh, that things would be better than they are in Oakland. I don't think they could be any worse, right? But, um, <laughs> you know, I, we ha- we haven't seen Major League Baseball uh, in, in Vegas. It's, it's uncharted territory, of course, and, and the market size um, – you know the market size worries me a bit. Uh, you know, I guess what is it? Is it number forty in the in the country? And you don't want a a the A's to sort of continue um, as a small market kind of underfunded team that they are under this ownership. So 
Um, I don't know. I mean, on the surface, it seems great. I would, I think it, it has the potential to be really exciting, and uh, the market has certainly done well um, with uh, the, the Knights and the Raiders. Um, but with this ownership and, and, and the way they've operated, I, I really don't know. Do you really believe if they came that John Fisher would spend money, or is this just him saying this to get to get here that he'd spend money on players and they would change how they do things? Well, you know these guys are competitive and they don't want to be, you know, as much as they they'd like to save money, they also don't want to be seem like, uh, you know, seem cheap to their fellow owners and stuff. So if he if he got a new the way what typically happens is these teams will get new stadiums or or, or relocate and they'll. They'll have a kind of uh, you know, introductory splurge. You know, we saw that with the Marlins, for example. You know, when they got their new stadium, they signed a bunch of guys and, and they went for it. And then a year later, they traded everybody. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you don't know how long it's going to last. So, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if and when they ever do move, that they they do start to spend and and, and have some real optimism. And then it's just a question of whether that takes and whether whether they win and whether the market um, responds right away. Because um, otherwise, you know, the owner could say, well, you know, I came in and I tried, and then we're going to go through a rebuild and, and, you know, all that stuff. So we'll see. There's so much that has yet to be known about the uh, the, the Vegas situation, even though it does seem like they're they're gone from, from Oakland. Um, they, they need a place to play, too. There is not a lot of optimism from people here in Vegas about the A's coming. It's not nearly as much excitement as there was about the Raiders or even the Golden Knights uh, even longer ago. And it's something that I've found interesting because I, I like baseball. I want the A's to come here, but it still seems like the A's aren't the, the team that people want here. Um, how, as far as from an ownership standpoint, aside from selling the team, is there anything John Fisher can actually do that would excite people about having his team? Well, I mean, you know, right now, before he gets to town? Yeah, I mean, it's. Just, I think a lot of this comes from ownership. And, like, if everybody here in Vegas found out today that John Fisher was selling the team and there was a new owner in place, I think it would be a lot more positive, right? A lot more people would be like, okay, the A's are coming and it's a new guy. But it's just I, I don't know between now and 2028, I don't know how the A's get any sort of positive favor here in Vegas amongst, like, just locals that are sports fans. Yeah, I think what John... Fisher would need to do would, would would be what he's never really done, which is to be a forward-facing um, owner and, and and figure. You know, you can you can you can trot out um, other executives or or you know, but everybody knows um, that the owner is the one who who matters most um, and, and and makes the decisions and, and directs the uh, you know the, the the culture of the franchise. And when that owner. Um, you know, hides the way the way John Fisher does, and, and, and never really seems to come out as, as a as a public figure, as someone that you want to line up behind. It is very tough to um, you know to to get that kind of excitement. Um, he doesn't have to do that. Obviously, it's his team, it's his money. He can do what he wants. Um, but I think it it would make sense to put yourself out there and try to engender that kind of support from the new community that you are going to hopefully be a part of. I mean, I, I, that's what I would do. I mean, I would get out there and, and lay out the plans and be um, open and, and transparent about it and, and get people to begin to trust you. Ultimately, you have to show it, but you want to start out with some kind of positive 
energy, and it sounds like from you guys are saying um, it's the exact opposite there. Yeah, there's there's not much here. Um, off the A's, uh, last year we saw the Baltimore Orioles come out of nowhere to win the American League. Is there a team you think that could be that surprising and be a serious contender who missed the playoffs last year or just isn't thought to be very good going into this season? Yeah, it's funny. I was just ready to go to the Orioles just now because uh, they, they have a couple injuries already. Um, as they start spring training, to Kyle Bradish, their starter, and, and John Means is a little behind. Even Gunnar Henderson has some oblique injuries. So, um, I, you know, it, it's, it's, it's hard to, to, to know that, obviously. I mean, Arizona last year made a, made a great run, um, and they've gotten a little better. <clears throat> when you look at the teams that were pretty bad last year and, and that could, or, or middle of the pack who could make some moves, um, I don't. I mean, we you know we saw some good things from the Reds last year. They made a, a good step forward. It was a little bit like, um, like what we saw from Baltimore. You know, they had a, a decent season in 2022 and then took a big jump with a lot of good young players um, emerging at the same time. So I think you know the Reds have have that kind of um, possibility. Uh, and I and I, I look at those central teams because there's really no dominant. Um, club in, in, in either division, I think. You know, Milwaukee uh, won that division last year in the NL and, and Minnesota in the in the AL, and both of those teams have maybe taken a little step back, lost uh, their top pitcher um, in both cases. So maybe you get a Cincinnati that, that can, uh, you know, that can rise up a little bit. At Kansas City, it would be asking a little more because they, you know, they're coming from a much lower spot, but they, they've added some, uh, you know, some talent in free agency as well, and, uh, you know, they think they can maybe make some noise too. Without the pitching part of it, what do you expect from Shohei Otani? Well, I mean, he's he's, he's a dynamic, uh, amazing hitter in his prime. So I, I I would think that you know you can mark him down for you know forty plus homers and, and a lot of RBIs and a lot of exciting uh, baseball. Um, you know, he he does uh, this, this, whatever he can do, he does extremely well. I mean, he's, he he runs real well and and all that. Um, <clears throat> so it, it's 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 tricky because he's not going to pitch this year, as, as, as you say. But um, you know he'll give you a, a, a heck of a show anyway because he's he's quite a hitter. He's maybe the premier power hitter uh, in baseball, or certainly in, in that small group with Aaron Judge and, and a couple others. So um, yeah, that's going to be quite a, quite a thing to watch this year. The Dodgers, how Yamamoto pitches, and and, and just to, just to look at that lineup: Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, and, and Shohei Otani. And my my gosh, it's hard to hard to line up any three better players in baseball. Uh, when we get, let's just say, when we get to June, do you think the Fanatics jerseys will still be a storyline among players? <laughs> I'm a big uniform guy, man, and and I feel like I don't know why baseball doesn't just leave well enough alone. Um, I, you know, it, they look pretty bad so far. That it looks like you, you need a magnifying glass to, to see <laughs> uh, to see the names. Again, I don't know why baseball would want to. Uh, you know, diminish the, the the recognition of of these guys. It's like the All Star Game when they put them all in the same jersey, so you can't tell who's who. You know, I, I want to know who these guys are, and, and it's already frustrating enough when you have some teams where you can't quite read it real well in the back, like the Marlins, although they they're changing this year. Um, you know, the Brewers a few years ago had this script where it was like really hard to read. I, I just don't know why you would want to make it harder for fans on TV and at the ballpark to know who that guy is. Uh, all right, since you love jerseys, do you have a favorite City Connect jersey in Major League Baseball? <laughs> I, I'm not a big City Connect guy, I'll, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> um, I, I don't I don't want to say I don't like any of them. Um, 
I mean, I, I like the Mariners jersey, but I don't like the black pants they accentuate it with, right? Like, yeah. I think the Angels is okay um, as these things go. Um, you know, that's probably no coincidence it's the most conservative one. I do think the Braves is pretty nice. Um, it kind of calls back the uh, the Hank Aaron um, look and, and you know, with with the blue shoulders and they have the white pants and the white helmet. The, the Braves looks pretty good. But, you know, I, I, I like it when they can, they can call back um, to something – historical about the team without like overdoing it and overselling it. And I think a lot of times they try to oversell it with the sizzle and the black pants or the same color pants as, as, as Jersey, which is just terrible. I tell you, you got the Raiders in town in, in, in football. They do it right, man. You know exactly what you're going to get. Beautiful, <laughs> clean look all the time. You're never going to see the Raiders go black all over black. I mean, I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan. They do that sometimes the black over black. And it's like, come on guys, you know, like it. So anyway, yeah, yeah. I, they, they, the city connect gets screwed up a lot when they when they try to overdo it with the uh, you know the pants. I like like the Rockies did a nice job because the Rockies originally had green pants, and now they just went they they said forget that and they're going to white pants with that green jersey with like that Colorado um, you know uh, license plate thing, and that actually looks pretty good. But when they started off with the green pants, it just looked terrible. Well, he is Tyler Kepner from the Athletic covering Major League Baseball. Tyler, I'll, I'll mark you down as the biggest fan of the Oregon football team jerseys. <laughs> you know, it's okay when you have one team that's the weird. Team, you know, like yeah, I, I'll allow one team to be weird, but when they all start getting weird, ah, oh man, that's that's too much. Thanks, Tyler. We Thanks, appreciate Tyler. it. All right, fellas. Yep. So there is Tyler Kepner from the Athletic. Um, you know what's okay? What's become an interesting topic in the NBA? If you like jerseys, and Ed, I know you don't like jerseys. Not a jersey guy, but you got to become a jersey guy, Ed. In the I in- really don't. <laughs> in the NBA, uh, Rob Perez on Twitter has tweeted about this a lot. The amount of times that you just have one team wear their traditional home jersey, play another team wear their traditional road jersey, it's like once a night in the NBA because there are every team has like five or six different jerseys. Right. And they wear all of them to the point where they're wearing, you know, the traditional home jersey. Well, they're wearing it on the road tonight and stuff like that. Like they just wear all of them all the time. So it's like, all right, who's what who's jersey? What, what jersey right. you wearing tonight? It's there's a lot of jerseys in the NBA, and so the idea that you just have a traditional jersey matchup it doesn't happen a whole lot in the NBA. See what screwed that up was the Lakers. Didn't they didn't they change things around and use yellow as like their traditional home? I mean that wouldn't screw up everybody else. Well, yeah, That's because fine. normally they wear uh, they wear white, and didn't uh, teams start wearing white when they were on the road against the Lakers? They changed in the NBA. I can't remember when, but you could wear yellow at home, and everybody else could still wear their green or their blue or their red. They still contrast. You know, you know who's who. Yeah. I mean, now teams wear the same. Teams both wear color jerseys. Yeah. So figure it out. But, yeah, now it's like, yeah, we'll call, who's uh, why are the Atlanta Hawks in blue tonight? We don't really know. Yeah, and they're also getting, like, way outside their color scheme, too. Yeah. I mean, sometimes there's, like, throwback stuff, and it's like, oh, that's why they're wearing different colors or whatever. But now they just, they got, I mean, they had, in, they had special jerseys for the in-season tournament. How many jerseys the Knights have? Uh, what do they have? Technically three that they wear. They, they had the Winter Classic, but that's only right. a like three or four time thing but they only have three in the regular rotation white gold and gray and then 
you know, they had the Winter Classic jersey. They had that black Vegas one. Right. And they I liked had, that one. And they had the red one. Was that the Lake Tahoe game that they wore the red? So like every year they kind of have might have one special one, but it's generally it's generally gold and white for Vegas with a few gray games and then a few Winter Classics. For a non-Jersey guy, I liked the uh, black Vegas one. It's a nice jersey, and it glowed in the dark, unless you bought the women's version from Fanatics.